Good morning. Welcome out to Vail. My name is Ted Max. I get to serve on staff here as the lead pastor. We're glad you are spending a little part of your weekend here with us. If you're in the room, you know what to do. Could you please help me welcome those that are joining us online? We're always glad you're with us um, every time. And for those of you that are in England, Florida, Indiana, Kansas, Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, Maine, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and of course, Illinois, we're glad you are joining us today. We are in a series entitled Be a Light, and we're coming to the last week, the third week of this installment. And it's a series we did um, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and we kind of are revisiting it because it's kind of the DNA of our church. Like, what does it look like for us to recognize that we've been called by God to be a light in our community, in the world, to the people around us? And so that's kind of the premise of the series. But before I jump into it, there's a couple things I wanted to share with you. Uh, as we close out this last year, it always takes us several weeks to kind of get things together as the year ends and we close out our financial year, we close out kind of our missions. Um, and so I just thought it'd be fun to share with you some of the stuff you accomplished this year. Uh, and then also highlight one really important detail that also happens at the beginning of the year. And so the first thing I'd love to share with you is uh, we finally got the numbers back this last year, what we were able to kind of close the year out with. They basically alerted me that you, because of your faithful giving, uh, we were able to give $249,000 away this last year to missions organizations around the globe to make an impact for Jesus in this world. Huge. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, And so they sent that back to me, 249, and that doesn't count what we did in December. In December, we did a Christmas offering, which we always pick kind of an organization to say, hey, we want to impact you during the month of December. And so we asked you guys if you would give above and beyond your normal giving. Um, and we were going to try to close the gap on a project that's being done in Nairobi, Kenya, just outside of the city there uh, for a partnership that we have through Goya. And um, they, they were looking for around $35,000 to close this gap so they could finish building a dorm in order to move more children out of the slum into schools so they can hear about Jesus, but also get an education. And it's a great, great organization we've worked with for years. And so they need around 35,000. We said, hey, we'll do a Christmas offering. Who knows? Maybe we'll raise it. Um, Really exciting. You guys in the month of December actually raised $42,000 and closed the entire gap for them above and beyond your normal giving. And so, so that was huge. And then another check came in at the last minute that put them even higher than that. And what was neat was when they got together to talk about this remodel and building, they were about $20,000 short on what it was going to take to put all of the desks and all the materials and basically be able to fund the school year. And they actually had that last donation came in and put them within $300 of that exact total they needed. And so it took care of everything. And so praise God, that was amazing. So can we just celebrate uh, faithfulness and your guys giving is huge. Uh, and then I got one last thing. Uh, every year we have a leader leadership team. And I don't know how many of you at Vail know this. I always run into people that just assume like Ted's in charge. He's the pastor. He doesn't have any authority above him. He's the guy that runs this place. And that's actually not true. Um, I've got a team of about 11 people that are my bosses, um, men and women that basically make up, our, make up our leadership team. They get together once a month. They talk about big picture, vision, direction, their job's to hold me accountable and make sure that I'm leading our staff and our church the right direction. Uh, they're the people that can have a meeting and I'm not even invited to it and they can release me from employment like that. Um, so they've got some authority. Uh, but this is a great group of people that give up their time and volunteer at Vail. And we wanted you to know who they are. And I didn't want to plaster their pictures all over the internet. Um, but I did want to make them available to you in our church. And so you're going to notice there's some people running around, about 11 people. Uh, they're going to have badges on that look like this. They just say VLT, Vail Leadership Team, will have their name. Uh, they're going to be in the lobby at all of our services. Um, they, they rotate between different services, and they just would love to meet you. If you see someone with this badge on, uh, they might come up and say hello, introduce themselves. They're going to ask you usually some questions like, hey, what brought you to Vail? Like, why are you here? Like, why'd you choose this place, this church? Um, what do you love about it? Um, you can tell them if, if there's something you love. Uh, what, what would you change? Like, what do you not like? This would be a great time. Because here's the deal. They get to share that information. They bring it to those meetings. And it allows me to hear some things that you might not say to me 
I don't know why that is, but over the years, I found that there are things that people would never say to me. They're like, I don't like this about Ted. I don't like this about the church. And they're like, I won't tell Ted that, but you might tell a leadership team person who won't come and give you your name, but they might come and say, hey, here's what we've heard. It's a great opportunity for me to learn more about you, what drives you to Vail, what makes you see things that you say, man, I, I do that differently. We wanna know those things um, because it helps us be a better church. And I think that's valuable. And so this team will be here. Um, if anytime you see them, say hello, greet them, meet them. They would love to meet you. But today what I wanna do is I'm gonna jump into this last week of Be A Light. And I'm kind of excited about it because I'm gonna get a little bit more into the practical um, side of us sharing our faith. Um, because here's what I recognize about sharing faith. Sharing faith can be a very scary thing. In fact, I've had the privilege, the honor to be at the moment hundreds of times when people have asked the question, what does it take to follow Jesus? Like, how do I become a believer? How do I become a follower of Christ? At, at coffee shops and restaurants and, and, and out in public. I mean, there's been times when people say, hey, I've always wanted to ask. Um, I think I'm ready. This is my moment. I've had the just privilege to be there hundreds of times. But there was a person in the Bible that was probably there for thousands of them. Like many of them, probably one of the most effective people on the planet when it comes to sharing who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. This is the same gentleman that planted a whole bunch of churches in the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. If you read any of the New Testament, you've probably read some stuff he wrote. And it's the Apostle Paul. And I've always been encouraged by a Paul because Paul has got this one little spot that I've always thought was really cool. And it's found in the book of Corinthians. He was writing to a church there in Corinth and he was basically explaining what he went through when he came and engaged them with the love of Christ, with the message of Jesus. And I wanna share it with you because it encourages me. And my hope is that through this, it'll encourage you as we talk about what does it take for us to continue to be a light in this community in the world. And so if you got your Bibles, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter two. You can join me there if you'd like. Uh, but here's where the apostle Paul kind of starts off. Here's what he says. He says this right here. He says, and when I came to you in Corinth, to the church there, he said, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. He said, I actually didn't come basically kind of trying to wow you with like what I know, right? And I think there's sometimes that we can be in church that we think we have to have the answers, right? And I'll give you that. I'll give you from my point of view. I feel that pressure most of the time because the title pastor, right? People are like, they just assume Ted knows. And I always love when I, I, I shock people, they'll sit down with me, they'll ask me a really hard question out of the Bible and I'll go, I don't know. And they're like, but but you're paid to know. Like you're supposed to know. I was like, oh, there's so much stuff in the Bible, guys, we don't know. Like I don't know empirically. Like there's a bunch I do know. There's stuff that's really clear in the Bible. There's some areas that I would say are gray. Like there's like, well, it could be this, it could be this. We're not sure based on language, based on uh, time. You know, like if you really look at it historically. Um, so there's times I have to say, I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Well, what's exciting is, is there's some things that we do know the answer to. And the most important things, I think, we have those answers. In fact, this is what Paul says. Paul said, I didn't come showing you that I knew everything and I didn't come trying to speak above you and trying to wow you with my intellect. Instead, here's what he said. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, can I just really break it down for you? It's simple. He says, I came to you with the simplest idea. The simplest idea is this, it's, it's about Jesus. I know this might shock you, right? It's about Jesus, it's about Jesus and his death on the cross for you and the resurrection that God gave to him. He says, that's it. That's what I came proclaiming to you. And I wish I could just, just like bottle this down and just like boil it down to this one thing that the most important message of the church is this, is that Jesus loved you, that he came, that he died, and that he was raised to new life. It's the starting point of everything. It's the most important thing. It's what we build everything on. And yet so many times in our world, in our American culture, in our background and our upbringing, like of intellect, we feel like we can't share what we know about God because we're afraid 
what if we don't have all the answers? What if, what, if we, what if we botch it? What if we ruin it? What if we don't get it right? What if we don't nail it? And I think that's where this weakness and this fear kind of sets in. And this is the last part I want to read you from Paul that just encourages me. Like it just, it just fills me up with encouragement. Here's what Paul, the apostle, writer of the New Testament, planter of churches, this is what he said. He said, and I was with you. In fact, would you say this with me? I was with you in and in and much He said, I felt weakness, I felt fear, I felt trembling. I don't know if you read that and feel the way I feel. I read that and I go, God bless you, Paul. Like, thank you. Thank you just for your honesty because I think that we feel that way. So many times, like this is the place we get. We start in that spot of like, I don't don't know. I just, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm afraid. Like, what what if I mess it up? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I ruin a friendship? What What if I make someone feel uncomfortable? And all of a sudden fear sets in and Paul says, that's normal. That's normal. It's normal to be afraid. It's normal to have, have some apprehension. He says, that's totally normal. That's what I felt. He goes, but I came to you and I gave you something simple because I wanted you to know the truth because it matters. Because it matters. And as I think about this, this is what I want to give you. And this is the part I hope that encourages you um, because I just think it's, I think it's beautiful. Um, and it, it's just really this, this right here. And, and here's what he says. He says, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Would you say power of God? All right, so here's the most encouraging thing I say to you. Here it is. When it comes to us being a light in this world, sharing Jesus with people, this is the thing I want you to get right here. This is it. You are not alone. Someone say amen. Amen. Like this should excite you. This excites me. I, I find myself always feeling the pressure like, I, I'll just be, I'm going to level with you. Something I probably shouldn't say, but I'm going to go and say it. I feel the pressure every single time I come out here to speak in front of a crowd. Like, I don't know. Let me just ask a question. Honest moment here. How many of you have a little bit of a fear of public speaking? Real quick, let me see, right? Look around. Hold on. Now put your hands back up. Put them up. Put them up. Really high. If that's you, right? Most people have this fear. I was looking online of fears people have. Like, like this one beat out drowning, which shocked me. I was like, wait, no, that can't be right. <laughs> Drowning's terrible. That's awful. But you know, like, like speaking in public, people are like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And I remember the first time, like I had to get up in front of people and speak. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. Can you know what the fear is? The fear is not the ability to speak. The ability not, it's not about the ability to study and prepare. It's the thought that's going through your head that you can't stop, that all these people are looking at you. And I have no idea what you're thinking as I'm speaking. That's the fear. The fear is what are they thinking about you, what you're saying, how you're saying it. Now you get to a point where you just stop caring because the Bible actually tells you like, I'm not supposed to care what you think. I'm supposed to care what God thinks. And I'll answer to him someday about what I preach, not you. And so that's a lot of freedom. So sorry, don't care. Um, but, but you got to get there, right? There's a journey to get there. You got to go through that process of getting there. But I remember early on when I used to get up here and, and preach in front of crowds, um, I remember I used to pray the same prayer and I still pray it to this day. I pray and I say, God, before I go out and before I preach, would it, you allow it to be your words, not my words? Would you allow it to be your spirit, not my spirit? Would you do your work that only you can do through me? And I pray that they would not hear from me, but they would hear from you. And I pray that prayer every single time. And here's what I've learned is that God has always been faithful to that. I've gone back and watched sermons that I've preached and, and I've literally been like, that was horrible. Why do people come to church here? You know, like, like it's real easy to judge yourself while you're preaching but I'm always amazed with the emails and the comments I'll get when I'm preaching because the truth is, is that most of you are not always hearing what I'm saying or how I'm saying it. But instead, what I find is God is speaking to you where you are in the moment. I always love when people go, you preached that sermon, it was just for me. And I'm like, mm, I got 15 emails that say the same thing. 
Because the truth is, is what you needed, God knew, and God is the one that's speaking to your heart the entire time. And what you're doing is you're picking out of the sermon the things that you need. And God is doing the work that only he can do. And it reminds me that when I get up here, I'm not alone, but I am speaking and God is with me and that God is with you and God is doing what God can do. And if that's true here, then it's true everywhere. It's true when you talk to your neighbor. It's true when you talk to your coworker. It's true when you have the faith to invite someone to church. And here's the other thing I can challenge you with. It's not always about you having it together. Can I release you from what I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made in the American churches, probably in the church in general, but I'll say the American church, is a lot of us don't share our faith because you know what we, we know about ourselves? We know that we're not living out our faith perfectly. All right, I'm going to say, I see some nodding heads because you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, right? We claim Christianity, but if you say, do you follow everything that's in the Bible, you go, mm, not all the time, Right? There are times I think things I shouldn't think. There's times I say things I shouldn't say. And there's times I do things I shouldn't do. And so we think to ourselves is how can I share this faith with someone else? Because the people who know me, if they know that I'm not living it perfectly, then I can't possibly tell them about God because they would never receive it from me. And I want to give you a little insight to this. Ready? We are not asking people to follow you. We are asking people to follow Jesus. You are not perfect. Jesus is perfect. We don't want them to look to you. We want them to look to him. And the greatest thing you can do is invite someone. And even if you're not living it perfectly, own that. I love telling people as a pastor, like, I don't follow this perfectly, but I follow a perfect savior. And they're always like, but you're a pastor. Aren't you supposed to? Oh, I'm supposed to try. And I try hard. But the reality is, is that I'm not perfect. Only God is. My job is to point you to a God who loves you, who is. See, our invitation, our power comes from the imitation of the power of God, not the imitation of power of myself. And that's true of you. This is why during this season, we've been asking people to take the time to write these names on light bulbs and trust and believe the power of God is going to do the work, present the opportunity that you can make an impact. If you've not done this, I want to invite you, don't miss this opportunity. Today, before you leave, grab a light bulb, write a name. Even if you don't have five names, write one name, write one person, write one family member, write someone you care about. If you're online, you can participate with us. You can actually text in light to 309-777-0677. Some from our team is going to write those names down for you. We're going to put them on this board. This light board is going to go in our lobby for the year. We're going to pray and believe for God to do something great because God's going to be the one that has to do the work, not you. We have to be faithful to what he's asked us to do but God's the one that's going to do the work. And I pray for this, man. I, my hope some days you get that joy of having that person you invited sitting down the row and you're just praying and believing this is the day that God's going to impact them. And I hope you get to experience that moment when they get up in front of the church here and they get dunked in the waters and they come up out of baptism and you can say, man, I was part of that journey. I want that for you. I want that for your life, for your kids, for your family, for your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. I believe that's what God wants for you. The question is, will we be faithful to follow through? I want to take you to where this starts, all right? So let's simplify it. With my last few minutes here, I kind of want to bring you to just a simple idea of how does this start and how does it grow into something greater? Because I think there's a, this tendency to think like, like, I'm only talking to the people who are evangelists, like the people who like can turn any conversation into a spiritual conversation. I love that people think that's me. Like people always meet me they're like, oh man, Ted, I bet you like when you buy a plane ticket, you buy the center seat where two have already been bought. That way you get two shots, you know, like when they're in the plane. Like they assume that's me and it's not. I'm like looking for the empty row where I can just chill out, shut down and like get through that flight. But, but I think we think I'm only talking to those people. Do you know that only about one to 2% of people are natural evangelists? Only one to 2% of people can like, like someone has a spoon in their hand and like that reminds me of a story about Jesus. You know, like there's very few people that are wired that way. So this is not just for the people who are wired a certain way. Here's what I believe. God has placed every single one of you where he has you 
on purpose and has made you who you are, the way you are to reach a certain group of people that I will never reach to, to reach a certain group of people that I will never have the opportunity to reach. And if we all do our part, we all make a difference. And where does it start? I believe it starts at home. I want to show you a time that Paul was writing to a gentleman by the name of Timothy, um, a really, really just fascinating individual in the Bible. But there's this moment that Paul was writing to Timothy about his journey. And here's what he said. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. I love what Paul said here. Paul said, basically, hey, listen, I recognize that your faith isn't just your faith that you wandered upon. It's not a faith that just kind of happened to you. It's a faith that actually was handed down to you. You have a legacy of faith that was found in your grandmother and then your mother, and then it was given to you. And now I see that lived out in you. And can I just challenge, I want to talk to grandparents and parents for just a minute. In fact, for those of you that are grandparents in this room, it's like the greatest job, isn't it, right? Like to be a grandparent. I, I talked to a bunch of grandparents. I'm not one yet, um, but I've talked to a bunch of them and they, they love being grandparents. They just think it's the greatest thing because you get the kids, you can spoil them like completely and utterly, but then you can send them home, right? It's like, this is the greatest gift. Like you just love it. Parents not so lucky, but like I've noticed how grandparents, like stuff they would have never done for their kids they'll do for their grandkids. Like my parents were really limited on like, like, can I have this cookie? No. Can I have this sugar? No. My grandkids, my kids go over to their house. Their grandkids are like, here's some sugar, you know? Here's a present your dad will hate, right? Now go home. Bye. You know? And I know what my dad's thinking. He's like, it's payback for everything you did for me. 18 years you lived in my home. But grandparenting is pretty cool. But let me just talk to you grandparents for a second. As grandparents, how many of you as grandparents do your grandkids know of your love for Jesus? How do they see the way that you live in such a way? Are you, are you drawing them closer to Christ through the life that you live? Do they know what you believe and why you believe it? You got such an impact as grandparents. It's huge. In fact, parents, can I speak to you just for a second? I think there's so many times in our culture that we as parents, we tend to kind of hand things off. And this is part of just the way that we're wired, I think. Like education, we send them to school. Right, school will educate my children, right? Um, spiritual journey will send them to church. Church, would you just take care of that spiritual journey versus recognizing that we as parents have actually been given the greatest influence opportunity to impact our kids for Christ. I wanna share with you some things I found fascinating and I hope they challenge you, um, but I wanna show you what some research shows. Research shows that moms and dads involvement at an average simple level is reading to kids at night Praying together, sharing a meal together, going to church together, and simple conversations about God have a massive spiritual effect. Here's what they found. They did a national survey. They found that 63% of people who follow Jesus will make their decision to do so between the ages of 4 and 14. 63% of all Christians make their decision to follow Jesus between 4 and 14. It's called the 414 window. That's huge. Six out of 10 right? Three out of five will make that decision as young children. Here's what else they found. They found this, and this should rock every parent. It says, what a child believes by age 13 is most likely what they will believe when they die. What you've established in your mind and your heart most likely will be what you believe when you die. You see the age transition, the time in which people come to faith actually gets smaller and smaller as time goes on. In fact, one of the things I love that we celebrate around here at Vail is when someone's in their 40s, 50s, 60s, it's actually like statistically against them that they came to Christ. And when they get there, we're like, this is amazing. We've had people at 70, 80 years old that make the decision to follow Jesus. And statistically speaking, there's a 2% chance they would have come to faith at that age. It's mind-blowing. And yet God does it. He does the work that only he can do. But, but it means that there's this opportunity for parents that is tremendous. It's huge. 
And so my challenge for you as parents, if you're not plugging your kids in, you're not making sure they're here on a weekly basis, you're not talking about faith things at home, begin. Make the impact, make the difference because it matters. And Paul recognized that. He said, listen, this is what's happening in your life and your family. I want to show you one more example of this. Um, and it was one that Jesus told. And, and I always get a little leery about teaching from this, um, mostly because I, I know how people can perceive it. But I want to go ahead and share it with you. There was a time that Jesus wanted to share a story about heaven and hell. Um, and I've always loved, fascinated with heaven and hell and, and what they are really supposed to be like and why Jesus taught them and what the purpose of them was. But there's one time that Jesus told the story of a rich man and a beggar by the name of Lazarus. And he says, these two men were very different people. One had a faith in God, one did not. Both men died. And Jesus began to tell the story how Lazarus went up to Abraham's bosom or went up to what he called heaven, this paradise place. And the rich man went to a place called hell. He said, there in hell, there was this divide. And the man that was in hell could look up and he could see heaven, but couldn't reach it. And the person that was in heaven was not aware of what was going on in hell. It was like this one directional mirror, but there was this great chasm between them. And he started to explain what hell is like. Jesus said, this is what this eternity is like for people that don't know God, who don't have this relationship with God. And what was interesting is this man who was disinterested in spiritual things, didn't care about anything to do with God, finds himself in this place called hell. And then something happened. Something changed. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 16. It says this, then the man said, I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. This verse has always kind of stuck out to me because there was this moment where this man who didn't believe in God, all of a sudden, five minutes in hell, made him an evangelist. All of a sudden, he said, man, would you just send somebody because I care about my brothers too much to have them come where I've come. I don't want them to end up where I have ended up. Is there anything that can happen? Is there anything that can be done? I beg you, please. You see, there was a perspective shift for him that said, listen, what happens at home matters. He says that I care about the people at home. The people in my family are the ones that are easiest. They're the ones I care about. Man, what would happen if it starts at home? And here's what I've actually found in my years of ministry. I find that what starts at home eventually bleeds out of your home, right? And this is just true in general. If you're living a faith-filled journey at home and you're raising your kids to know Jesus at home and you're talking about spiritual things at home, it becomes so much easier to talk about those spiritual things when you leave your home because it becomes inundated in you. It's like what you can talk about at home, you can talk about in public. What you believe about in home eventually will spill out into public. And what would it look like if we did that? What would it look like if we began to have spiritual conversations? We began to invite people into these, these, these moments with us. What if we began to have people over in our homes and have meals and dinners with them? What if we did what Jesus did? And we began to figure out strategic ways to kind of invade people's lives and, and, and just so we can be with them, know them, invest in them, and love them to a point that we want more than anything for them to experience Jesus. And this leads me to the last thing I want to say. And this is, this is something that's for me that I want to share with you that's just always kind of spoke to me. Uh, when, I, when I was going through and, and studying, kind of, kind of educating myself to kind of get ready for, for ministry, um, I got this really cool opportunity to go and just read a lot of books, right? You know, you, you go to school and they're like, here's a lot of books, read these books. And I remember I was reading this one book and it was a book about revival. Now, I don't know if you know what revival is, but we've got a history, even in the U.S. in the last several hundred years, uh, where, where there's been major revivals that have broken out. And a revival is that basically um, the sleeping church awakens. That's the best way I can describe it. Like all of a sudden the church wakes up and the church realizes that there's lost and dying people all around us. And all of a sudden something stirs in us. It says, we're not gonna allow that. We're not okay with that. We're gonna march out into this world and we're gonna make sure that people know about Jesus and what they do with it's up to them, but we're gonna be faith-filled and we're gonna believe for God to do something amazing. And when the church wakes up, it's crazy. 
You go look at some of the stories, like the church is kind of sleeping. Even if you're going to church, even if you go to a church that's alive, it's like we're still kind of just going through the motions, but all of a sudden something clicks and then all of a sudden the community is changed by it. And I was reading through this book of all these examples of how people were impacted and how revival broke out. And there was this story that spoke to me years and years ago. And I want to share with you. And it's a story of a man by the name of Charles Peace. I don't know if you've heard of Charles Peace. Um, Charlie Peace might be what some of you would recognize his name, but he was a, a criminal um, who basically didn't care what man's laws said. He didn't care what God's laws said. He lived a life that was pretty much built around what he wanted and how he wanted it when he wanted it. Well, eventually the law caught up with him and they convicted him of some crimes and they basically sentenced him to death. They were gonna hang him to death. And so Charlie was in his cell and he was getting ready to do the death walk as they would call it. And part of the tradition in this time, this was in England. And uh, basically a priest would come and a priest would walk with you on the death walk to the gallows, to the place where they would kill you. And as he's walking along, the priest has got his book open and he's just reading through scripture and he's reading about this place called hell. And he starts reading about what the Bible says about it. The way that it's a pit, it's a place of torment, it's a place divided from God. And he starts listing off all this stuff. And here's how the story goes. As Charlie was in this spot and he was listening to this man read, it kind of struck him. He just said, how can this guy routinely and sleepily be reading these Bible verses about hell? And so here's what he's shocked. He was shocked by this, that all of a sudden he thought to himself, if this preacher believes the words that he's reading of an eternal fire that never consumes its victims and yet slides over the phrase without even a tremor, without even being phased by it, he found himself thinking, how could this be? And so here is what Charlie Peace had to say before he died. He said, sir, addressing the preacher, he said, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, if I believed what you say you believe, what you're reading to me out of this book, if you believe this, if I believed it, here's what he said. He said, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it. If need be on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. I find it fascinating, interesting, compelling that a man who's about to go to his death for something that he's done, that he knows that he's done wrong, he hears of this place that he might spend eternity in. And his first thought is, I would do anything in my power to save one person from this place as the priest is sleepily reading it on his way to his death instead of turning and telling him of the hope that's found in Jesus. You see, there's been a season in America where we spent a lot of time, churches did, trying to scare people out of hell. You'll notice that I had someone the other day said, Ted, you don't really preach on hell a lot. I said, you know why I don't preach on hell a lot? It's not because I'm afraid of what the Bible says about hell. I believe every word that the Bible says about hell. I just don't preach about hell a lot because the truth is, is that I have the remedy so you don't have to experience hell. And so I spend a lot more time telling you how to get to heaven than I'm worried about trying to scare you out of hell. Because God says, listen, this place is not about punishment. It's about choice. He says, people that end up in hell, choose hell. Believe it or not, the Bible would say that. You have a choice. Even right now, I'm removing the excuse that you'll have someday to stand before God and say, I didn't know because the reality is, is right now I'm telling you, God says there's heaven, God says there's hell. He says, I can tell you how to get to heaven and it's not because you're good, it's because I'm good. It's not because of what you've done right, it's because of what Jesus did right. He says, I can get you to heaven. You just have to believe and have the faith to say, yes, it's a gift, you receive it, I can tell you how to get there. Our message as a church is hell no, heaven yes. So I'm gonna preach heaven every single time I can because God wants you there. And our invitation is for you. The Bible says that you can be there and we got friends out there and here's my question. This is the thing I'll challenge you. This is what I wanna end with is this right here. 
Do you feel the way that Charlie Peace feels about people in this community, people in this world, and the people that you say you love? You say you believe it, will you preach it? You say you believe it, will you do what it takes to make sure we save somebody from it? Would we crawl on hands and feet across the length of England so that one person might know Jesus? I'm actually not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to make the very hard journey of walking across the street to the neighbor. I'm asking you to make the really difficult journey from cubicle one to cubicle two. I'm asking you to make the journey from the desk to the desk down the hall. I'm asking you to make that small journey and I'm not asking you hands and feet. I'm not asking you to do it on glass. I'm asking you to make the move to share what you know to be true of a God that loved you, that saved you, redeemed you, and gave you a hope and a future. And you've got the power to share that with someone else. Will you do it? God is with you. God is for you. You're not gonna do it alone. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, Here's my challenge. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I've got news for you. There's a heaven and there's a God who loves you that wants you there with him. And he says, the way you get there is through your faith. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart that God raised his son Jesus from the dead and you profess, you confess with your lips that he's Lord, it says that you will be saved. It says your belief is what will save you. And if you want that right now, just talk to God, wherever you are, online, here in this room, just speak to him. Just say, God, I... I don't necessarily know how to pray, but I'm just going to talk to you and I'm, I'm just coming to you and, and I believe, I trust, I have faith that Jesus is who he says he is and that he lived and that he died and that you raised him to life. I confess with my mouth that he's Lord, that he's my Lord. In that moment, as you confess, as you believe, as you trust, God saves you instantly because of his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. Heavenly Father, I pray for those right now that are saying yes to you. I pray that you send the Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them, empower them. God, help them to follow you. God, help them to experience what Paul talks about, that it's the power that brings them to the realization of the need of you. Not my words, not our wisdom, but God, your power. I pray that they would experience that, that you give that to them. And God, I pray in this place for every single person in this church, online and in the room, I pray that we would be people that would actually follow through what we say we believe. That if we believe this, that, that it's worth it. That if we believe it, that we would make the journey, that we would share, that we would tell people about you and that God, you would do the work that only you can do. We'd be faithful what you've asked us to be faithful with because God, we know that you'll be faithful in the way that you say you will be faithful and that it's your power that will change lives and change hearts. We love you, praise you, we thank you. We pray all this in your precious name. And the church said, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're gonna take communion together, but I'll remind you before you leave today, take a moment, write those names down. Grab that bulb. We're gonna leave the, the bulbs out for the next month. So if you've got friends or family, they come and they say, man, I wanna participate, they can. If you're still praying through those names, that's fine. If you write someone down on the bulb today and in a week or two, God gives you a new name, come fill out another bulb, that's fine. We're gonna leave the board up. We're gonna have a lift so we can go put new bulbs in throughout the week. And so each and every single week you can come and you can add to it. But today, if you have those names, write them down. We're gonna be praying and believing for God to do the miraculous thing that only he can do. And we're gonna believe he's gonna to continue to fill this place up and we're gonna to continue to see people's lives changed and we're gonna see God do some miraculous things this year through our church. Amen? Amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, 
Give generously and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.